everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Adults. My name is Glenn King, and it's my great privilege and honor to bring you adult entertainment talk for the adults entertainment curious. Today, we've got a very special episode, very different episode. Today's episode does not have a, a porn star to come on and talk to you about her wildest experiences and give you some funny stories from set. Instead, today's episode is really just for industry people. It's, it's for adults, performers, and production companies. And it's to help everyone understand the impact of a new law that is soon probably going to go into effect in the state of California called AB5. And what it will do is make almost everyone in the adult entertainment industry into an employee instead of a contractor. When I say that, I mean that's going to affect not only adult performers, but video editors, uh, camera people, production assistants, makeup artists, uh, uh, anybody that is going to be on your set, maybe even your box cover people. So we're talking post-production as well. And that's going to be a pretty big change in the industry. And we really need to understand exactly how it's going to affect us and what are the pros and the cons. There are some very good things that come out of this and there are some very bad things that come out of this as well. So we'll take a look at everything here. And I do want people to understand I'm not taking a side here and neither is my guest. We are here to lay things out, provide information, and then there are others who can debate this back and forth and, and try to determine which direction that we want to go in, although I don't I don't know that it's, there's a choice here. It looks like it's kind of a it's predetermined. So with that in mind, let's talk to the industry's foremost expert on labor laws. And when I speak of the foremost expert on labor laws, of course, I refer to the great Karen Tynan. Thank you, Glenn. All right. So, Karen, let's just start by establishing your background and credentials so people realize that, yes, you are qualified to speak on this topic. Thanks, Glenn. I've been working with the industry now since 2009. Uh, you may remember that some of my first work uh, involved Cal OSHA. I've uh, been an employment law attorney for 19 years and always helped employers, small businesses, medium-sized businesses um, with regulatory compliance, with um, compliance with the California Labor Code. And uh, we've been on a journey in the industry these last 10 years, everything from um, various bills in Sacramento about uh, personal protection equipment. Um, and you can explain that if you want to, Glenn. Condoms. And, uh, <laughs> condom. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and also, um, you know, I've litigated this issue of independent contractor versus employee and also advised uh, both production companies and uh, performers uh, about this issue. And I've also, um, as people have seen in the trade papers and all over the years, uh, worked with talent agencies also with some of their regulatory compliance. And so I always keep my ear to the ground. And when this bill started bubbling up um, and we heard about it and then we saw the draft language, um, I've been following it closely in Sacramento. And like many others, when you started tweeting about it, um, we started having a dialogue. And I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. Yeah, and just to be clear with everybody, you have done a lot of work for production companies, but you also, I believe, have worked on cases for performers. Yes, that's right, and I've um, had them as plaintiffs. We've done many labor commissioner uh, cases for performers. I've helped performers incorporate and form their LLCs. Uh, just a very broad spectrum of services in the adult entertainment business. Yeah, the reason I bring that up is because I want to make it clear to everybody that's listening to the podcast that we are not coming out on one side or another of this discussion or making recommendations here. This is a podcast to lay out the facts. And uh, Karen has worked both sides, the production side, the or has worked with people on both sides, the production side and the performer side, and can help us understand how this will affect things. So we're not trying to make a statement here to say whether we're for or against it. So just so people understand who are outside the industry, how are performers typically paid today? 
Well, what we see is typically a day rate. Um, Glenn, I know you're very familiar with the varying rates of pay. Um, you know, performers agree to particular activities, acts, um, work on a set, um, typically beginning in the morning and ending in the evening. So it's one day of work and um, it's negotiated beforehand and it's not typically hourly. Um, so you're talking about a day rate uh, for performers. Yeah, the, I think the average performer, and I'm guessing, but somebody asked me this the other day, but I believe it's about six hours, you know, the, for from start to finish, and that it that could be as short as two hours, and I've heard of days that are as long as eighteen hours, but it's basically one day, and I think the average performer stays on set for about six hours, uh, and then just so people understand. Performers can decline any any job that's offered to them. It's it's as simple as that. The agent is supposed to contact the performer and say, "Well, you've got an offer from Brazzers to do a scene, and the the rate would be a thousand dollars, and it involves uh, intercourse. Uh, they call that a boy girl scene. And sometimes the girl will say, "Who am I working with? Or what other things are we doing that day?" And then she can say. Yes or no. And, and she can say, no, I would like a higher rate or she can just decline to do the scene altogether. And there's really no recourse that the the production company at that point cannot say to the agent, well, tell her she has to. Uh, it doesn't work. Right. That way. So these right. are. And, and could I add, Glenn, one of the, the areas that I want to make sure people are clear on is that when performers come to a set, it can also be negotiated. Um, that they're bringing their own wardrobe or the producer, someone like you, Glenn, would be providing particular wardrobe. Um, the same with toys, the same with makeup. And so those were nuances that we were always aware of um, for the work that day. Yeah. And that is, uh, is where our industry somewhat differs from the mainstream Hollywood productions because most of those are governed by SAG. And for example, if you work on a SAG production, there's a uh, a bump, they call it, that's already negotiated in advance. If you have to bring your own toy, or, or like I, I actually did some work in mainstream Hollywood when I first got here. So I remember one time they said, bring your own briefcase to this music video <laughs> that you're gonna appear in. And I got paid an extra $25 for that, something like that. Um, our industry really doesn't have negotiated things like that. It just varies from companies to companies. I personally uh, adhere to some of the rules of SAG having come in from that background. So, for example, if a performer is going to be on set for more than five hours, I provide her with a meal um, or the, I shouldn't say her. I, I provide the performers with a meal if they're going to be there for more than five hours. But this is all negotiated and done on a – it just varies from set to set. Right. But, but what percentage of sets are paid as um, as contractors these days versus via payroll and as employees? Oh, my goodness. I'd say it's probably 90 to 95 percent pay the performers as an independent contractor when the performer comes to set and they're doing the model release and um, proving their age as is required that they're 18 or over. Um, they typically will also provide their taxpayer identification number. And so in that way, at the end of the day, let's say the person was going to be paid $1,100. At the end of that day, the performer will get $1,100, no taxes taken out, and um, the payment is made from a production company to the performer at that rate no taxes taken out with the understanding the performer is an independent contractor. Right. Right. So there's the, the gist of our discussion today is that 90% of the industry is paying performers as contractors, or let's say 90% of performers are being paid as contractors. So if you're a performer, this uh, bill that we're about to talk about will dramatically affect um, will will dramatically affect how you are paid and how you do your taxes at the end of the year. I might uh, try to get an accountant to answer some questions for us after we do this, but we'll see what we need to, what, where the gaps are. Great. So, 
Uh, let's uh, all right. Let's so let's introduce uh, AB five. What what drove the California legislature to start looking into doing something here? Well, what happened was in late 2018, a California Supreme Court decision uh, veered dramatically um, from the prior independent contractor test, which we all called for many years, the Borello test, B-O-R-E-L-L-O. It was a well-established multi-pronged test, and we all knew it like the back of our hand. And that was the test that had been applied in California. It had been applied in superior court settings, in the Kalosha Forum, um, also EDD, the Labor Commissioner, um, all across the state. And so us employment law attorneys, um, we would just refer to the Borello test. We knew how to apply it and we knew how to litigate it. Um, What happened was the Supreme Court decided that California, um, in a case about the uh, labor commissioner's application of wage orders, uh, deviated and adopted what's called the ABC test. And this ABC test is used in some other states, and um, but it had never, ever been used in California. So when this decision came down, uh, we were all floored. We'd never applied this test. We hadn't worked with this test. We were unfamiliar with this test. And so that's what started this ball rolling. And the legislature, of course, there was an election in November. So all these legislators, after the beginning of the year, they get to Sacramento. What happens? Um, Many of them want to make their mark. They want to have um, great laws that they can advocate around. And so Assemblymember Gonzalez introduced AB5. So that's our history on it, Glenn. So the Borello test was different from the ABC test in what ways? So the Borello test um, had multiple factors. It was a very elastic test. Um, And when I would litigate it, one of the um, ways that I could effectively show independent contractors was by having the performers be um, incorporated, um, having uh, performers not be exclusive to a company, i.e. performers being able to work for a wide variety of companies, having performers bring their own wardrobe, their own tools, their own toys, Um, set their own no list, set their working parameters for what they chose that day to do. So we had used those factors in the Borello test. Now with the ABC test, it is an incredibly difficult test. And I'm going to give you the A, the B, the C. So when you listen to these three factors, kind of close your eyes and imagine a performer, imagine a production company, let's just call it in the industry lingo, a boy-girl scene that day. Um, the, the two people um, have arranged to work that day. They're going to show up. They know what the scene is. So part A of the ABC test is that the worker is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the work. Okay. So I just want to clear something up real quickly for the people listening. Okay. This test is what you as a producer would have to do to prove that the performer that you hired is a contractor and not an employee. This is the test to see if it's a contractor. So sorry, let's go ahead and again it's number one, free from control and direction of the company they're working for. Okay. So think about that part A. We're free from control and direction from the production company that hired us with regard to the performance of that work that day. And let's get to part B, the worker, in this case, a performer, performs the work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. So our performer would need to be performing work That's outside the usual course of a production company's business. And so these these are and so we've got to hit all three parts of this. 
to be a contractor. Right. Part C requires that the worker is customarily engaged in an in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed. So we've got A and B and C, and the burden for proving this would be on the production company, on the hiring entity. Yeah. Uh, And hey, C is pretty easy for the production company to prove. However, A, you have an actual person named a director on set. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So it's kind of hard to argue. That's me. I direct. And so it it would be very difficult for me to argue that the person that I hired is free of my direction. Although a lot of them don't listen to me. So maybe that's what I could argue. There you go. Um, you, know, you know, but again, I'm not, I'm not even taking sides. In fact, I'm actually not even in California. So this is really just us trying to lay out the situation. Um, but number two is probably where it gets really interesting or, or part B, performing work that's – to say somebody's a contractor, you'd have to prove that they perform work that's outside the course of the normal business. And if your business is making adult videos – Somebody that's performing in the video is the central course of the company's business. So that's and very clearly yeah. referring to performers. Yes, and and I always um, have told clients, um, even under the Borello, the test that um, was up until recently um, more readily accepted and what we had wanted to rely on, that, um, you know, Part B is where our, our problem is. When when I hire a plumber at my house, it, no matter what, even if I have a law office in my house, my plumber is not the usual course of business. It's easy to right. say the plumber's the independent contractor. Right. It's very difficult to say that a makeup artist who is creating a particular look for a scene that day um, as part of a genre um, is not part of creating a scene. The same for uh, camera person, performer, all of that. Um, production assistant. Production, yes. Th- think about everybody. Go through the list. If, if you're a production company, Glenn, let's think about part B. Yeah. Um, you're a production company and you're going to hire a director. Is the director um, doing work that is part of being an adult industry media company? 100%. There's no way to argue against that. Right. Um, And then you've got performers. I believe that uh, Part B um, is likely easily met by those who are doing the work on the set, creating an adult content scene. Um, Their body is their instrument. Um, you know, they're hired for the day, but you cannot have a scene without performers, right? That's right. So the performers are there. Um, you've got the makeup artist, um, and frankly, even people that we would consider, um, let's say you, you send your scenes out to be edited. You drop them into a server in Bumbledoo, Canada, and you're in Nevada, um, anything like that. We, we always thought of editing as just some kind of piecemeal work. Well, isn't editing part of adult media content creation too under this part B? It would be central to the core of the business. You're putting out a video and somebody is editing the, how the video looks. So I would think an editor would qualify under that test. Yes, so so this ABC test that is contemplated. Box guy. What about your box? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many things down the line in post production. Now that I think about it, that I hadn't even hadn't even considered before. But yeah, probably your box cover guy is also going to be an employee at this point. Right. So so with this pending legislation of AB five that would uh, broaden the application of this test. Now, there, there are a few exceptions, and I know we'll get to that, that presently AB5 has listed. But it, when you think about this test and you think about all the production in the business, 
all the people that work, um, we're going to find it very difficult um, to have someone not meet the ABC test, Glenn. Yeah. Let me ask you a quick question because you just gave me some information that I think was news to me. It seems like you're saying that in the past, some production companies have had the labor board come after them about classifying performers as contractors, and they've actually uh, won the production company and was able to continue to classify them as contractors. I, I had probably been misinformed, but I had been told in the past that the, the labor commission had gone after a few production companies and forced them to retroactively go back and classify people as employees. It's gone both ways, Glenn. Um, there's been a variety of litigation, some above the the radar, some below the radar, as we say, where labor kit commissioners, the Superior Court, um, have parsed up the Borello test. I will say that um, in the past, when companies have signed exclusive agreements with performers, the labor commissioner has viewed that where a performer can only work for one production company as being a slam dunk that the performer was an employee of the uh, production company. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about the benefits because there's a lot of, first off, a lot of people want this. They want to be classified as employees, uh, especially, you know, this I think started from Uber drivers and Lyft drivers who said, we, we do, we work for one company, we're under their control, and we're not getting any of the benefits of being employees. So certainly there are some real benefits of being employees. What are the benefits for our performers of being classified as employees? So um, you get all the labor code protections of an employee. And in California, that includes accountability and a paycheck for all the deductions um, to be properly calculated. It includes um, provisions that provide that if you are not paid or the check bounces, there are incredibly leveraged penalties against an employer for improper, incomplete, or as as I've heard in this business has sometimes happened, um, bounce checks, stop checks, all of that. Um, so there's there's those protections around a paycheck. There are other protections um, in the labor code as far as discrimination, retaliation, um, harassment. Uh, all those other aspects, if you think about a traditional company, all of those um, protections that uh, you might find in an office, that you might find um, working at a big corporation, um, are going to be required and incorporated as AB5, which we expect to be signed by the governor in its final form. Um, the, the AB5 with this new section, the Labor Code, Section 2750.3, is going to provide all that. The other part of it, um, Glenn, that, that people haven't really talked about yet is um, workers' compensation insurance uh, uh, for those uh, injured on the job. Um, other aspects, um, maybe up to and including unemployment, depending on... Uh, uh, how uh, the working arrangement um, is made. So there are a lot of aspects. Just just translate your mind from the performer going to work that one day on a set and then think about all the protections um, in your friend's corporate job. And those are going to be applied, and it may be a square peg in a round hole, but those are going to be applied to all those industries that AB5 um, will uh, uh, apply to. All right. So let's sort of put this in simpler terms. If you are an adult performer, you've been getting a, a check at the end of the day with no taxes taken out. Now you're going to get a check um, at the end of the day, but also maybe three weeks later. But you're going to get a check and it's going to have taxes taken out, which is not a bad thing, okay? It it actually makes things a lot easier for you at the end of the year, performers. 
in that you're probably getting a refund at the end of the year instead of having to pay a bunch of taxes or figure out what you owe quarterly as an independent contractor, however you're supposed to do it in the state of California. You also are contributing towards your Social Security. So I know most of our performers don't think about getting money when they're 65 years old, but this does uh, contribute to your payments that you'll be getting from the government, assuming that we're still doing Social Security years and years later. So you get that benefit as well. I think that um, with getting that paycheck, either at the end of the day or within a day or two, um, workers are going to see, frankly, a little more clarity um, in their pay rate. So let's say it's $1,200 for the day. You're going to pay your federal and state taxes out of that. You're going to pay your unemployment um, EDD um, payments. Uh, like you said, Social Security and any um, any other deductions. Um, I think that production companies and small producers are going to have to sign up for some of these payroll companies where they'll be able to put the day rate in and know what the net amount's going to be depending on how the employee presents. And um, that's going to be uh, a bit of a burden, I think, for small producers. I think large production companies will handle it very easily. But you honed in on it. Um, the paycheck, I think, uh, probably you as a producer, Glenn, you're you're used to spending about 30 seconds writing out that check at the end of the day. It's going to be a little more complex after AB5. Yes, Um so I've been a producer in the state of California. Let me tell you, if you're a producer listening to this podcast, you better sign up for a payroll company. Uh, you better, because if you don't, the state of California is going to flood you with paperwork that you need to be filling out. I think it's quarterly, but it could, it could be monthly. They ask you for a lot of information about your employees, and the payroll company will file all that stuff for you. But if you don't do that, you're going to end up with uh, a lot of them coming back and challenging you and making sure you did it right. And it, it gets extraordinarily complex. I don't think there's any state in the country quite like California when it comes to the burden that they place <laughs> on small employers. That's it's no, honestly, it's why I moved out of California. It's, it's you're just, making me smile, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I mean, I'm a perfect example of somebody who I just could not sustain my business in California. And and so I moved to Nevada, where it's just a lot less complicated to run a small business out here. But, right. but getting back to the, the performers, so the other good news is that Karen is bringing up is that you would be able to file a workers' comp claim because now every production company is going to be legally responsible for providing workers' comp insurance to you as an employee. Is that correct? Yes. So so this labor code section. Um, would apply the ABC test all across California. At present, we haven't seen it implemented in um, across the state. It was narrowly announced by the Supreme Court, but with AB5, it is going to apply. This new test will apply in the workers' comp forum. It will apply in every aspect of the work. And so, um, I know that a lot of small production companies, this will be the first time that they will be looking at um, obtaining workers' comp insurance. Um, they'll have to be um, honest in their application and say they're a media company and maybe give some details. Um, and they're going to have to be honest about how many employees they're going to have during the year. And it's going to come across as a high number, Glenn, because oh, yeah. if you're yeah. let's, right, because right. of the turnover. That's right. And so it's going to look like a high number, um, but it will actually be a low number of um, full time employee equivalents, FTE. So um, the other part of having workers comp insurance that will be new to many production companies um, and new to performers who maybe have a production company is that workers' comp companies regularly do audits. They, they want to see your payroll. They say, hey, send me in your spreadsheet from your payroll program and let me see how many employees you really do have. 
Um, so that those kind of queries and that activity would be something new um, for these performers and smaller production companies. And I, I like for them to kind of think about what all this would mean. Probably starting around January 1, 2020 is when it sounds like um, this would really kick in. So um, the, here we are, we're in the middle of the year. Um, this isn't a lot of time to plan. So I, I'm glad you're bringing this to their attention, Glenn, um, because uh, the thought about having to go get a new kind of insurance and interviewing payroll companies or selecting payroll software, it's going to take some time for people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so let's just run a couple of real life examples here, starting from the easy ones. So if you're a performer and you're performing on a glass table and then the glass table collapses and then you get bloodied up, you have to go to urgent care, get that taken care of. You will now be able to submit a workers' comp claim, and that's the way things hopefully have – in some ways, it should have been running that way because with or without the workers' comp claim, the company should be reimbursing you for any medical expenses that you incur on set. And even if you don't have workers' comp insurance as a production company, a good lawyer like uh, Karen here could actually represent the uh, the contractor, and, and they could sue you. But let me throw out some other interesting examples. A performer sure. – goes on set or a performer goes and tests positive for chlamydia the next time that she goes to get tested, traces it back and says, well, I only performed in one scene last week. So therefore I must have contracted chlamydia while I was on the set for ABC company. Can that performer then turn around and file a workers comp claim and say, I got a disease working on set? Well, the short answer is yes. And that's going to be something new for the adult industry. Um, typically, if you think about a, a corporate environment or a construction company, someone gets hurt. They fill out a DWC-1 that says, hey, I was hurt at work. Here's how I was hurt. Here's the date I was hurt or suffered my injury. And I'd like to um, have my medical bills paid. And if I'm not able to work, I'd like to be reimbursed. And so... Um, we haven't uh, had really that system in the adult industry. Um, I think insurance companies will likely struggle a little with understanding that. Um, claims adjusters, I suspect the first time a STI claim comes across their desk, um, they'll um, have a hard time wrapping their hand around it. But you are correct, Glenn, that um, we will likely see performers uh, filing the DWC-1, the notice um, with a production company that says, hey, um, this is what happened to me at work and I'd like my um, medicals paid and I'd like to be reimbursed. Yeah. So there's a benefit of doing this. And, and I think it is a good thing uh, because it, it does happen in our industry. And then those performers are unable to work during the period that they're trying to clear up the disease. But speaking of sick pay then, um, you know, which is related what happens if the performer comes on set to perform the job and gets sick in the middle of the job and can't complete the scene? Would right, right. You, these are these are great scenarios. Then they're scenarios that you've probably experienced um, as someone who directs. And I think that um, what's going to happen is that um, previously, let's say, if this was a year or two ago. Um, the director or producer would have said, well, you didn't complete the scene. I'm not going to pay you. Well, right. now um, the company is going to have to pay for uh, the time that the worker was there for that part of the day rate. And then if the sickness is related to being at work, um, then that again falls under the area where employees will now um, have the benefits and um, be able to utilize them as real employees, real workers at a company. Hmm. It's interesting, interesting situation. So basically, I think you're saying a performer could come on set, do the pictures, uh, the pretty girls, the, the the photography that goes along with the scene, and then decide, ah, I'm not feeling this. I'm leaving. And you would still, as a producer, you'd still have to pay them for half the day if they were there for half of the expected time. 
Yes. And, and you and I've seen over the years and, and um, a variety of practices in this business where let's say something happens and a scene can't be completed and people aren't paid for that day. Or um, we've seen um, the use of kill fees. I think that um, this is going to be a big shift. Um, I'm glad people are going to have to start wrapping their head around it. Um, because the, some of the traditions of the business are probably going to fall away and there will be new ways of doing work for traditional production companies, hiring, let's say two performers to do that boy girl scene. That's going to take six hours, have a makeup artist, a production assistant, a director, and, and that is going to be very different in, let's say, 2020 than it was in 2018. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, let's keep moving along here. Uh, is there – do you expect there to be some kind of subsidized health insurance that comes out of this for performers? I'm not seeing where that would happen. I'm not sure yet, Glenn. I think that um, for production companies – um, the, the labor code, um, isn't going to require, uh, with a small number of employees, um, the same type of benefits and burdens that larger companies have. But for example, um, if a company is a California employer, they're going to have to, um, take a look at, do we have more than 50 employees? Do we have to provide CFRA leave? If we have more than five employees, are we providing pregnancy disability leave for the other people that might be working for us? Um, we're going to have to look at some of these um, parameters for leaves and benefits as this gets implemented. Now, Glenn, um, the bill's in the Senate right now, so we're talking in June. So the California Senate, and as many people in the business will remember from the, I think it was three bills we defeated um, that AIDS Healthcare uh, tried to push through. Right. So we're in the Senate. There'll be committee hearings, just like we did when we defeated those bills. Um, there's still some room for uh, amendments there's still some room for some of the exceptions. Now, at present, June 2019, there are a few exceptions that um, will not have the ABC test, including uh, physicians, surgeons, real estate agents, financial advisors, attorneys. So um, here the attorneys left themselves a nice little exception. Um, so, so those exceptions are incorporated now, and we know that um, there have been groups lobbying in Sacramento to get sliced out of the ABC test to still have the Borello test, um, but that hasn't um, happened for any part of the entertainment industry yet. Um, I, if I can, if you'll let me, if I can tell people, um, they can simply Google AB5 California and they'll be able to track the um, legislature um, activities related to the bill. Um, and I think you'll keep tweeting about it so that we can know how this is rolling through and when we'll see it implemented. But I, I really would like for people to um, stay informed about this by looking at the California legislature website. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in fact, when you mentioned those exceptions, I see in the LA Magazine article that one of the exceptions that they currently have on the list, I believe, is independent hairstylists. And I, <laughs> right. I wonder if, if, if I was a, a labor attorney working for a production company challenging this law, that that would be where I would go and say a adult entertainment performer is very similar to a uh, to a hairstylist in that they are contributing to the something that's a visual, essentially, of the end product. Well, one of the, the issues with some of the publications that are out now is they're actually in the present AB5. 
there is an exception for hairstylists, but they have to be doing booth rental. And so we're not going to be able to use that exception. I think that um, as that exception stands now in AB5, um, the board of Cosme- Board of Barbering and Cosmetology is going to create regulations that implement AB5 for hairstylists. But w- I don't see us um, grabbing that exception um, at all. Uh, I think that if Big Hollywood goes and gets a entertainment exception, Um, That would be the only way for us to kind of fall under the exception umbrella with AB5. But that um, how these exceptions have been um, incorporated in AB5 has been, um, I would say, below the radar in Sacramento. There's a lot of work happening. You hear lobbyists talk about it. But um, I haven't seen that any new exceptions are falling in. Um, in the next few weeks. But that's why I want people to keep tracking this bill and I want people to keep tweeting about it so we can be smart um, once this bill is implemented with how we will operate our businesses in the entertainment business. Absolutely. Uh, We talked about the benefits for, for the performers in that they will have a much stronger position in, t- in terms of, uh, of getting their onset rights. They will have access to workers' comp, maybe even sick pay. Let's talk about the cons a little bit here. What would you say are the negatives? Uh, uh, why would performers not want to be an employee? Well, of course, um, as an employee, um, y- your employer um, directs and controls you. And um, can tell you what time to show up and what time you're going to be released. Um, I think that many performers have formed LLCs in an effort to um, run themselves as a business and take every possible deduction, including plastic surgery, enhancements, all of that. Clothing. And yes, Every every Southwest plane ticket, every trip to the gynecologist, every trip for the lip injections, every hair removal. Every trip to and from set, you should be writing off the mileage performers. I hope you're doing this already. Right. right? And yeah. and so think think about all those expenses and also think about say, um, someone that's an independent director and they're writing off all their equipment. They may be writing off part of their home, um, with a home office. Um, they may be writing off their leased car. Um, I think there's a few directors in this business that have a leased Bentley or two or big fancy Mercedes. Um, that's much more difficult as an employee. Okay, Glenn King here with a little post-podcast add-in for everyone in the area of accounting. So I did consult an accountant in regards to how AB5 would affect performers who currently write everything off as part of their corporation. As Karen says, it's going to be much more complicated for performers to write these things off. However, it's not it's not impossible. It doesn't completely eliminate the ability to make these deductions. What I was told was that there are two things that come into play here. So right now, it's relatively simple to start a corporation and then, let's say, take a company credit card and pay for everything that you would use in your performance. So that would include, as we talked earlier about, that's makeup and that is cosmetic enhancements, surgeries, that's going to be your wardrobe, that's going to be your your mileage to and from set, potentially uh, a part of your home if you're writing that off as part of your corporation, etc. Now, two things again come into play here under the new world where everyone would be employees in the state of California. The first is that Potentially, you would still be able to do contract work outside of the state of California. So if you're doing scenes outside of California, you would still be getting a 1099 potentially as a contractor. And you could apply some of those expenses towards the money that you earned working out of state as a contractor. Maybe you you had to pay for clothes, etc. to go out of state. Or maybe you paid for your own travel 
to get from California somewhere else. So that's one thing that, that helps out. Also, and this is the part that gets really complicated, so you need to contact an accountant, but potentially you could file a tax return with the state of California that shows you're an employee, but you could classify yourself as a contractor with uh, federally. With, with the United States. Very complicated seeing as how you've already received pay as an employee, but apparently it's something that potentially could be done. So definitely contact your accountants. Everyone, you're going to be hearing a lot of different information about how these things work out or how it plays out, but the thing that Karen, myself, and everyone agrees is that you should seek professional advice when it comes to your accounting under this under these new laws. And now back to the podcast. And so that's a huge shift. And I think that uh, performers especially are going to have to talk to an accountant. They're going to have to pay for an accountant's time. They're going to have to get very good advice. The last thing you want to do is still be behaving under an old paradigm when there has been a massive shift and, um, the California um, tax structure and the feds are going to look at you as an employee. And so I hope, Glenn, that you'll be able to get some links or resources on Twitter, maybe even point performers um, in the right direction. As far as just finding information, like you said, we're not coming down one way or another on this question and, and trying to rally people one way or another. We're just giving the information so that performers, directors, production assistants, whoever in this business can make good decisions and be prepared for this big change. Right. And and okay, so here's the part that I think might really throw things into chaos. And again, I'm not coming, as Karen says, we're not coming out for against this, but we need to understand all these things. So people that are regular listeners of my podcast understand that the industry is dramatically changing anyway from a centrally based industry of a few big production companies hiring all of the the performers to a completely spread out a bunch of small independent producers all over the place, which consists of not just production companies, but performers who also are production companies. And whereas maybe 10 years ago, 1% of all performers had were doing their own production, now I would say well over 50%, probably 70% of performers are doing their own production. And I know what you're thinking if you're a performer, wait, like, wait a second, I don't have my own production company. Well, do you do your own OnlyFans page? Do you have, do you do your own webcam shows? Do you provide custom videos to, to your clients, your consumers? Do you um, make clips for any kind of clip store? That, those are all things that make you a production company. And what I'm seeing right now is a lot of performers are doing Snapchat and making big money off of doing Snapchat shows. And so, so for example, a performer told me yesterday she does three, uh, she does three Snapchat Snapchat shows per week. So on one of them is a solo, and then the other is some some I'm not sure what the other one is, but the third one is a live boy girl sex scene once a week. And she hires male talent to appear in these in these scenes once a week. And she doesn't think of it as a traditional scene because it's not being recorded. It's not going anywhere in the right. future. So, so there's a lot less complications for her. She's just inviting a guy over to come have sex with her. However, under these rules, if she's paying the guy, she's going to have to get a payroll company and, and pay him under those under the new guidelines, under the new laws, and be responsible for all of the onset rights that we've been describing here including getting workers' comp for your snap, live Snapchat show, correct or incorrect? You're right, and I think that um, unless the, the performers can really make a good pitch that they're sharing content, let's say that boy-girl Snapchat on Friday night um, live show um, is shared content. Well, well, maybe they can make a pitch that that's a joint venture. Sure. But content trade paying, is different. Right. But if she's paying um, talent and that talent's coming over for 500 bucks and um, she's the one 
using this uh, activity for a commercial purpose, um, they're complying with the model release. They're complying with 2257. Um, it's, it's content created um, for just like any other content. It's um, used on a platform that's a little different. Um, but you're right. Uh, all these new ways that performers um, create revenue, um, create uh, ways that uh, enhance their brand and uh, drive money uh, through whatever platform it is, um, we've we've got to think about that. And you know, the the companies that have these platforms need to think. Well, now am I? Uh, creating a joint venture with this performer that's using uh, my platform to to create um, income, or am I the ultimate production company? We really need to step back and and see who's the producer in all this. Um, so you're right because of the shifts that have happened in the ways that performers now um, can create those revenue streams that are not. Uh, traditional in the way, say, that content was being created in 2005, 2010, even 2015. Um, looking through the lens of AB5 and the ABC test, um, yep. we're, we're going to have to, to reanalyze um, how payments are being made to performers. Yeah, so OnlyFans better think about this. Uh, you know, in other words, under this ABC test, you, if you're a performer who has an OnlyFans site, you sort of technically are an employee of OnlyFans, or at least somebody could argue that. It may have to be determined, but that's part of the chaos that I'm talking about. So, all right, I want to move towards wrapping this up because I've I've I told Karen 30 minutes, and of course, we're way beyond that because that's the way all my podcasts go. But um, but we're getting a lot of good information out. And again, I, I really appreciate you coming on to to do this for the performers. Uh, just to talk a little bit about how this affects production companies. Is this bill going to be retroactive? So will they be able to go back and classify the last five years worth of um, of productions and then hit up these companies for huge fines? Um, what we're hearing now in Sacramento, Glenn, is that it likely will not. I know that um, a lot of uh, behind the scenes memorandums of law and briefs have been submitted about problems with retroactivity. So um, the current thoughts and what I'm hearing from lobbyists in Sacramento is that it will not be retroactive um, so that uh, businesses can comply, can plan, and can implement this brand new test that we're still struggling to understand um, and to, you know, analyze and see how these these factors can be uh, kind of pushed and pulled. So I don't think that performers and production companies at this time, June 2019, need to be worried about retroactivity um, the way things are playing out at, in Sacramento, but you also give me a chance to circle back and say, hey, that's why people need to really watch uh, what's happening in Sacramento with this bill and to kind of kind of just be smart. You know, performers run their businesses, they know their brands, they know how to make money. And now you just have to figure out how am I going to do this after AB5? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about the ways that production companies have in the past avoided similar type things? So, for example, I knew a company during the days when OSHA was getting heavily involved in um, in California productions. They would just drive the performers across the state lines over into Nevada and then shoot a scene in Nevada somewhere. Would they be able to get out of paying these people as employees if they shot their scenes in Nevada instead? Yeah, I think that's not going to be a solution, Glenn. And let me tell you why. When a company is operating in California, it's arranging the work. It's running its payroll um, out of California. It's directing the work from California, scheduling the scenes. Um, it really appearing to be a California business that's looking to 
um, circumvent uh, various laws, that's not going to play well. And we could expect the labor commissioner, EDD, um, superior court judges to not buy into transporting workers across state lines as a way of getting out of this test. So um, anybody who thinks they're going to find that way to skin the cat as a solution to AB5 is is wrong. But you would be able to do it by moving your entire company to Florida, basically. Yeah, and, and, and no, that, look, that's what we saw when, when Prop 60 um, was defeated. Many people had already uh, moved out of the state of California because of Measure B, uh, Measure B being the uh, condom ordinance in L.A. County. And so... Um, the production companies based in Florida, um, based in Nevada, you know, we see people shooting in Arizona, yeah. um, up in Oregon, um, but, you know, their state laws are going to apply there. Um, and so this may be something that drives more companies out of California. I don't know yet. I don't have my crystal ball out, but I, I do know that. Uh, production companies um, crunch the numbers and they're going to see whether they can live with this or not. Yeah, that's up to each individual production company. All right. Well, let's try to summarize this and figure out what we learned today. I'm going to sort of go over what my understanding is. Karen, just interrupt me if, <laughs> if I say something incorrect, but here's the way that what I think we've learned from from listening to this very valued expert in the industry. If you're a performer you're most likely going to be paid as an employee for all the work that you do in California starting next year. There is good news and bad news out of this. The uh, good news is that you will have some better onset protection from abusive producers, and you will have some options that you can easily turn to in the case of onset injury. So those are good things. Uh, also, you will have taxes taken out in the checks that you get on set, which may be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on how you look at it. But certainly it will contribute to your um, to your Social Security. So that's a good thing. On the negative sides, taxes will be taken out and you might not be paid for, I think you have up to 30 days to pay somebody in that situation. Tr um, traditionally, go ahead. Um, Glenn, you know, I and I do want to jump in here um, and hopefully get some clarity around that. Um, the best practice would be for production companies to run the payroll, um, not at the 30-day mark or end of month, but really, um, I would say, if possible, that day using a payroll program, and if they don't have that, that ability, within three days, um, you don't want to get into where you're waiting long payroll periods. It's just too easy to make a mistake. Um, so for day workers, I would like to see um, as a best practice, um, check at the end of the day or within 72 hours uh, mailed out. Yeah, I don't know why they do it that way, but most of the companies that pay via payroll right now um, take two to three to four weeks to get the, the money there. And that's a negative for performers because that means that you have to chase down the company, perhaps say, where's my right. money? Why hasn't my check arrived? It's a lot easier if you get it on set. So the other negative is that if you are one of the many performers who uses a corporation to be able to write off a large percentage of the expenses in your daily lives as they contribute to your on-screen performances, that's going to be a lot more complicated than it has been in the past. So there's the positives and the negatives. If you're a production company, you probably are going to have more negatives than positives here in that now you're going to be paying everybody as a uh, employee, including perhaps makeup artists, crew members, et cetera, and, um, uh, and sending out a lot of W-2s at the end of the year and yes. filling out some additional paperwork that you wouldn't have had to fill out with the state of California. Uh, and also I would – mentioned that if you are a performer, you are most likely a production company as well. So if you hire anybody to help you with your OnlyFans page, with your Snapchat, with your uh, custom videos, and an editor to help you with these things, a graphic designer to help you with these things, those are all going to be employees. And so probably a good percentage of, of our performers are going to have to get with payroll companies 
and start thinking of themselves as a production company. What did I forget? Anything? No, that that was a great synopsis. And I, I hope that you'll continue to post on social media as kind of the the conscience of um, good business in the industry, Glenn. I, <laughs> That's a good no, description I'm, of no, me. No, I'm yeah. serious. And I know that, that a lot of your listeners would like to hear just some funny set stories or whatever, but this is a service. Um, I think it's very powerful. Um, over the next few months, there may be some clarifications. I know that um, once it's signed, this bill signed by the governor, um, and we see its final form, uh, you'll provide more information uh, to those people in the business um, and keep everybody posted. So thanks so much, Glenn. If you are a production company or you are a uh, performer and you have an issue, whether it involve um, the company that hired you, your agent, whatever, uh, or if you're a production company and you have concerns, you can go to Karen Tynan, who is the acknowledged industry leader in this field. How do they contact you, Karen? So um, I, I was an early adopter at Twitter, so I'm at Karen Attorney, as you know, Glenn, yep. on Twitter. And um, you can Google me, Karen Tynan Attorney. I'm in California. Um, I tend to post on social media about these type of business issues. I typically uh, also chime in on uh, Glenn's Twitter feed. So that's the best way to track me down. There you go, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Let's Talk Adults.